Welcome to DP Talks, PwC Global Transfer Pricing Podcast Series. My name is Ugo Cannavale and I'm a PwC partner based in Milan and leading in the Italian TP practice. I'm happy to announce that I would be the new host for TP Talks. I want to welcome our listeners to our next episode where we will be discussing the important role ESG plays in creating value in business transformation. Before we start, let me introduce the speakers. Joining me today from PwC are Monica Cohen-Dumani and Brad Sattery. Monica is an international tax partner based in Geneva, Switzerland, and Brad is the global VCT leader for transfer pricing and is based in Chicago. Welcome to both of you. So let's get started. Today, we plan to discuss the role ESG, the environment, social, and governance plays in driving value in operating model transformation and how tax and transfer pricing plays a key part. On top of the current risks companies are facing with regard to the geopolitical environment, supply chain issue, and the economic environment, the clock is ticking for multinational companies to take meaningful steps to address their ESG operating model strategy. So, Monica, let me start with you. The EU adopted the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive at the end of last year. What does this directive entail and who is impacted by this directive? Thank you, Hugo. It's so nice to uh, spend some time with you. Um, CSRD is live. It's a directive that is supposed to um, increase disclosure and transparency around sustainable business activities and uh, will require companies to publish a sustainability report as part of a management report and using new European sustainability reporting standards. So it's all about increased transparency for the market, the consumer, and the public in general. CSRD will become relevant for listed companies as of 2024. There are th really three different groups of companies uh, that fall into the scope. Uh, one, the listed companies, including entities established outside the EU but listed on EU markets. Then large companies that meet two out of three criteria, 250 employees, 40 million turnover, or 20 million total assets, regardless of where they are listed. And then you have third country companies uh, with a net turnover at the consolidated level of 150 million euros and with at least one subsidiary or branch in the EU. And there are various dates that are relevant for them for reporting. Um, but basically, it's between 2024 and 2028 that the reporting starts, depending in which group you belong to. Thank you, Monica. Looking at the big picture, how is the tax and transfer pricing tied into this directive and ESG overall? May we say that the increasing in transparency that the directive will introduce may have an impact on the transfer pricing and basically on the TP documentation requirement in the sense of ensuring consistency between the information that would be required 
among the different documentation and uh, disclosure that the company and the group will be required? Well, I think what it does is it's a catalyst because with so much more transparency around your supply chain, around your business model, who you engage with, and so much more data available, companies will start looking at, well, how does this look like? Consumers will start looking at, well, how does this look like, as well as other stakeholders. Therefore, it is a catalyst for change. Um, per se, it doesn't have a direct impact on the transfer pricing documentation, but it will have an impact on who is doing what where, how much profit ultimately will you have where based on the functions that are also perhaps new in the organization and uh, where you need to think is your organization still fit for purpose as well as your transfer pricing. Okay, thank you very much. This is uh, very helpful. Brad, whether it is the new directive or the public CBCR, many companies may have only scratched the surface when it comes to addressing the ESG. With this new requirement, the multinationals may soon need to report details about uh, their operating model. What are the value chain implications and what should companies that are looking to embed ESG in their value chain operating model consider at the outset? Do you think the group are thinking to adapt the business model just to survive to the new rule or they are reacting by thinking to an entire review of the operating model? And, and thanks, Hugo, and it's a, it's a great question. And really, this is a build off what Monica has just, just set out. The, the transparency is really going to drive a lot of the change that goes in the business. And we think about ESG and an operating model list. I think we need to kind of separate this between both what we think is internal spend on ESG and then external spend. And if we think about it on the internal side, we see this through the end-to-end -end value chain because you know organizations are focusing on where do they make investments around ESG. And the big question when they think about those investments will be, well, are we enhancing or improving a manufacturing process? Are we creating new shareholder value or enterprise value? Um, are we really focused here on preserving the value of our brand or are we enhancing the value of our brand um, you know are we creating brand new technology um, on an internal looking you know viewpoint esg is going to drive significant decisions around where do we place value and it all very much depends on what's the outcome from that spend on esg and if we think about esg from a, from the magnitude of it multinationals are spending hundreds of millions of dollars on ESG. So it's a significant investment. And with the transparency and the reporting, you know, revenue authorities are seeing you know, an increase in operating expense or ESG spend. Companies are going to be taking deductions in a lot of different markets. So from a value chain perspective, it's important that an organization understands well, where are they making the investments and what value is it creating. Um, again, it could be a shareholder value. So where do we allocate the expenses? It could be creating new intangibles. So is that, do we need to allocate those costs to the IP owner? So there's a lot of different impacts here on the value chain and it all comes back to where is the spend being recognized and what value is it creating? But equally, we need to think that it may not actually create 
incremental enterprise value. It's just maybe a cost of doing business on a go-forward basis. It could actually erode enterprise value. So we do need to think about how this all you know, comes together from an operating model perspective. Where, is that, where do we take the expenses and where is value being created? And on the flip side, a lot of organizations now are also looking at creating separate lines of business or service related to ESG. So it's not so much internal focus, but it's thinking about external focus solutions and product offerings. And the question we have is, is this a new intangible? Is it a new product offering? Does it create a new brand value? And organizations need to think, again, where do we incur the expenses? Where do we allocate income? who's bearing the risks. So all of these developments and this ongoing investment in ESG you know, has a very direct impact on you know, an operating model and where do we have assets, expenses, and where do we attribute the income? Yeah, thanks, Brad. For sure, the ESG impact will be relevant and also will be very curious understanding on the group, what will happen, how the tax authority will react if you move something from one country to the others just to adapt and to change your business model for the ESG, what will be the reaction of different uh, tax authority in moving function asset risk from one country to the other. And uh, looking at this based on your experience in transfer pricing and value chain transformation, you can share some insight on some particular success integrating these ESG into tax TP operating model, if you have some insight on this. Yeah, and, and, and there's a lot of different examples here, but I, I'm gonna maybe bring this together um, with a specific kind of you know, set of facts, just to kind of help you know, the listener here, maybe start to think about you know, how do they identify, how do they price um, for these ESG investments. So, so let's just take an example here where um, as many multinationals have, they have internal captive contract manufacturers. Um, in many cases, they will also have you know, risk-bearing distributors. Um, and those distributors may, for example, be a licensed distributor paying royalties to an IP owner um, based on top-line revenue. And should this company have made significant investments in ESG, but they might be looking at you know, investments around reduction in carbon footprint or water reduction or even process automation, more robotics. So it's very much focused on manufacturing, you know, um, impacts and improvement from an ESG perspective in the way in which they produce products. So let's imagine that in that case, where they're reducing wastage, they're reducing water consumption, they're automating processes, well, that may actually result in a reduction in the cost to produce a product. So if we're a contract manufacturer, we might be selling to a licensed distributor, but every single unit is now being priced at a lower value. And that's because of the investments that have been made around ESG um, and improvements in the manufacturing process. So if we think about that, the cost reduction then gets passed through to the licensed distributor. If there is no incremental increase in revenue, what we'll see is an improvement in gross margin purely because of cost takeout. So the royalty stays the same. It's the same amount of royalty income that goes to the IP owner, even though we've improved process know-how, 
And all of the value around those ESG improvements actually falls to the bottom line of the licensed distributor. But neither the licensed distributor or the contract manufacturer have made the actual economic investment in ESG. That's all been funded by the IP owner. But we have no real mechanism in which to bring the value back to the IP owner because if we don't increase revenue, there's no incremental you know, return on those investments by the IP owner. So from a planning perspective and thinking about value attribution, if we have a scenario like that, it's really important for us to think about does our royalty, if we have the IP owner funding ESG, does our royalty model and our royalty rates, do they really reflect the value that's being contributed by ESG or the ESG investments? Now, are we getting a return on that? If you think about how we've typically, as, as, as multinationals, how you value your royalties, you look to third-party agreements. Most of those agreements will have no reference to ESG or to digital investments. They're old, they're usually 5, 10, 15, 20 years old. But most of those royalty agreements don't really capture what's happening in the current environment when multinationals are making significant ESG investments. So there is an opportunity here for multinationals or even a need with the elevated transparency around spend. The revenue authorities will come back and say, well, have we, how have we accounted for that in our royalties? How do, we, how do we capture a return on that investment? And that's where really when we think about value creation, um, in the scenario that I just set out, it's going to be really important for multinationals to go back and revisit their, their royalty structures. What is very interesting for me is your discussion regarding the enhancement of the gross margin. When the manufacturer has invested in the ESG transformation, who is subsidies this investment? And so if the gross margin will be improved, who will take the benefit of this? And this will be an irrelevant aspect from a TP perspective in terms of function risks and who will take the ultimate profit for this announcement. So uh, for sure, we'll have a, a greater impact from a TP perspective. But let's come back to Monica. Uh, Monica, I would like to ask you a question regarding the procurement function. Now, procurement within the ESG is very relevant because due to the cost constraints and uh, the redesigning of uh, the entire value chain, procurement people will be heavily impacted by the ESG. Can you share with us some thoughts about this? Indeed, I think again, well, ESG is just an additional element that has added onto others, right? I think the the start, there always have been geopolitical questions and, and risks, right, that, that companies had to deal with. Then you had COVID, which was a big shock to the, to the system, to, to companies, to supply chains. And now we have ESG as an additional topic coming in where we do have uh, new levies or, or, or mechanisms in order to ensure that there is a level playing field like CBAM and a lot of ecological taxes that are kicking in. And therefore, it has come onto the forefront. You can look at it as a risk. You can also see it as an opportunity. And procurement departments have a vital role to play in this, to be much more strategic than just, um, let's see if we can get the cheapest value, but it will very much be, well, how can we ensure that when we actually need 
our raw materials, our sourcing materials, that when we need them, that we have them, which doesn't go without saying, right, in nowadays world, as we could see. So anything can happen. You need to have, you know, the right sources at the right time, at the right place. Will you be able to transport them, get them where they need to be? Will you be able, frankly, to, to produce uh, what you need to produce? Because if you have no electricity, um, you might not be able to produce or gas, right? So it's all about being very nimble. And I would really see procurement moving from procurement as a, you know, now broader and strategic function of sourcing and ensuring continuity of business operations one as well as being very close to what is happening looking forward so in terms of innovation so that they can be right next to the business as those innovation processes kick in and be out there and say oh business you know by the way i saw there is a new you know material coming out there or somebody has launched that would you be interested but it's also bringing the right resources to the table, to the business, to the R&D centers, frankly, um, as a catalyst of innovation. And therefore, that function has changed fundamentally. Obviously, each company goes about it differently. And so therefore, as well, the value creation that is linked to that um, is very different. And Brad is, you know, and you as TP specialists obviously would then come in and and look at uh, the functions and what they bring to the table. And Monica, I'm just going to maybe just jump in. I think this is, it's a really important point of sourcing organisations or procurement where, as you said, like historically they may have been more tactical now where they're managing like geopolitical risk, security of supply, um, and just to think about the the functions, assets and risks here, we've historically like priced these on like commissions um, or it's just a percentage of spend, but they, those commissions never really accounted for what they're doing to manage risk. And I think that's really an important pivot that, as you, you mentioned, it's like coming out of COVID, managing risk, security of supply, the geopolitical risk, and now organisations are diversifying their sourcing footprint to manage some of those geopolitical risks. The procurement organization, like their the value contribution to the business is changing from what it may have been historically. And it's as we've all experienced as consumers, we expect product to be available to us as quick as possible, <laughs> same day delivery or the next day delivery. Like the, the speed at which you know supply chains need to operate is, is critical. And now I think when we think about procurement functions. The risk and reward do we do we need to price for those differently do we need to think about compensating them based on the risks they're managing versus the more tactical legacy kind of procurement function um because the the risk of the overall value chain is fundamentally different from what it was you know a few years ago thank you okay so before we sign off it's clear that esg will have a, a big impact on the group, on the organization, on the operating model, and on the value chain, of course, because will impact the different function of the group and how the group is organized. So I'm asking to Brad to give us some takeaway to consider as important 
in the implementing ESG. Yes, and I, and I hope this came through, but I really do think that, you know, critical for all multinationals is we think about how pervasive ESG really is from the end-to-end value chain, understanding where the spend is occurring, understanding who is bearing that spend or where it's being allocated, and understanding, of course, is there a expected return on that investment? And, and if so, which, which part of the value chain or which entity in the organisation should be earning that return. So back to transfer pricing principles, but it's critical to understand where that spend is occurring, the income is being earned, particularly, you know, in light of all the transparency that we're expecting to see multinationals um, have as it relates to ESG over the coming years. Thank you, Brett. And coming back to Monica, that gave us some thoughts regarding the new reporting sustainability directive that will be implemented, your takeaway on ESG and also on this new transparency requirement that would be required by the multinational. Well, as Brad said before, it's pervasive. The whole organization um, is touched by ESG and therefore I can only recommend be close to the business know what is happening and how it impacts the organization as well as any opportunities that do come out of this including we did not talk about this um, subsidies that might be granted by states and incentives in order to finance the transition perfect thank you monica and brad for joining me today i think this was a timely discussion As I know, PwC will be releasing a global survey around ESG-empowered value chains. So we will include a link to the survey on this podcast page upon release. We will be back next month with our next podcast. Until then, thank you for listening. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.